It's a very rare thing for me to deviate from our time in the scriptures to focus on something going on in the news. In fact, I think this is going to be the very first time in, what, three years, something like that? I usually just make a statement when something's going on in the news that needs to be addressed from the pulpit. But not only are the images that I've seen this week of what's been happening in Israel so horrifying and heartbreaking, but I've also been asked and heard many people asking this week, well, does the Bible have anything to say about this? Does this, do the scriptures mention things that are taking place, you know, things happening right now? And that's a great question. And I believe it's net worth taking a moment to pause in our verse-by-verse journey to speak to something that I believe the scriptures do speak very clearly about. We'll unpack these things in more detail when we get to chapter 24 of Matthew. But the urgency of the moment demands a response. And when the scripture has that response, I think it's worth taking a moment to do so. But to make sense out of anything of what's happening in the news, we have to ask the question, well, who is Israel? What is Israel in the first place? And simply put, they are God's chosen people. Chosen by God beginning back in the days of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 to be the nation that God would use to bring salvation into the whole world. Israel then is the the bloodline of Abraham through Isaac, mind you, and then Jacob, and then the 12 sons of Jacob that we now know as the 12 tribes. They are a historical, cultural, and religious group. And some Israelites are happen to be part of the church too. We might call them Messianic Jews and praise God for them too. But, you know, because of how this is, I, for instance, cannot claim to be an Israelite. <laughs> you know, but they can be part of the assembly and part of the church. However, during the time of the apostles, there was this separation between the Jewish nation and the church. These two different institutions were we're growing because the church of God is God's called out assembly, his called out assembly of believers that consists of Jew and Gentile, men and women, slave and free, everyone in all the earth uh, who is saved, who believes the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, worship him in spirit and in truth. But in the time of Christ, Israel as a nation rejected their Messiah. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11 that there's now a partial hardening of the Jews, that they uh, have hardened their hearts to receive the gospel, to to, to embrace the gospel as, as we have today. That's what this partial hardening that took place was, that has led way to what we now call the church age. So in this era of redemptive history, while God has always had a remnant of believing Israelites who have believed in their Messiah to be saved. I mean, Dr. Greg Hegg said that uh, quite, quite clearly quite well when he was with us from Chosen People Ministries some time ago. He made that clear, but this era is primarily defined as the gospel going forth to all nations, nations that aren't neighbors of Israel, like, well, I don't know, South Amboy, New Jersey so that faraway Gentiles as ourselves could be grafted into the promises of God. But is God done with Israel? I'm going to come back to that in a second. 
But first I want to ask, why is Israel so hated? Why have they been so hated over centuries? The fact that Israel still exists and the people still exist is nothing short of a miracle. Having survived multiple genocide attempts, not even just recently, going back to the book of Esther. Some of you guys have read when, uh, when the government official Haman was attempting to exterminate the Jews back then. You could read all about that in the book of Esther during the time of the Persian Empire. In more recent history, Hitler successfully killed six million Jews. And if he hadn't been stopped, it would have been even worse. His heart certainly was set on it. And what I'm reading in the press today, Hamas has the same intentions. The same hate that flowed through Haman and Hitler flows through Hamas. And it's very important for us to understand Contrary to what you will hear about in the news this week, this has nothing to do with Israeli settlements. This has nothing to do with any geopolitical issues. These people surrounding Israel and attacking them have deep-seated hatred that far begin way before, way before Israel was even established as a nation They were hated. When they were first founded as a modern nation, they had to immediately fight multiple wars just to stay alive. Well before any settlements took place. That should give us a window into understanding what's true and what's false in the media today. And furthermore, I find it outrageous that those who accuse the Israeli response in recent days of bombing civilian areas have not dared to accuse Hamas of doing the same. Have you noticed that? They don't mention, as the president of Israel recently said, that missiles are literally being fired out of apartment windows in the Gaza Strip. Hamas is purposely committing the war crime of blending its military and its civilians so that Israel could be uh, called out for, for this, so that they could be accused of doing war crimes. When they're the ones hiding their military and their arms under schools, under hospitals. This is disgusting. That is deplorable. It's also shocking to me that people are blaming Israel for Gaza's lack of water. Perhaps you've heard that in the headlines the last couple of days. What they're not telling you is that the European Union funded them to have plenty of water and set up irrigation systems that then they took all the metal and the pipings and they repurposed them for rockets. And they're blaming Israel for their lack of water. Are you kidding me? International law makes it clear who's been committing war crimes. It's not Israel. And look, they have a long and deep history, but to say this is a two-sided thing is disgusting. It's, it's, it's horrible. And those who want to argue that there are guilty parties on both sides, okay, I'll, I'll admit they, there's, there's a history there, but how on earth does ge- geopolitical tension justify what happened to innocent women and children just over a week ago? I can't even repeat from the pulpit the atrocities that took place. 
You're telling me settlement issues caused that? You can't pull the wool over my eyes. And all of this hatred, all this hatred that the Jews have had to endure for centuries, when you look at it, it's irrational. It's disproportional. And it is absolutely, mark my words, satanic. Because nobody hates the Jews more than Satan himself. For it is through the Jews that the Messiah would come who would defeat him. And he knows that. He knows that. No, he, he knows the promise that was made right from the beginning in Genesis 3 that, he, that this Messiah who would be Jewish would crush his head. And Revelation 20 describes how it would be thrown into the lake of fire forever. He knows that. And until that day comes, he will continue in his cruel hate to attempt to stop these promises of God from taking place. So when I read of the horrendous reports of what happened in Israel or the shocking number of people who have failed to condemn these atrocities, we must remember this is literally satanic in origin. It's nothing short of that. Whether it be Hamas itself or other organizations here in America that are failing to condemn these obvious war crimes. Maybe you guys have heard over those 30-something groups in Harvard University that have signed a petition blaming Israel for what happened to Israel. Perhaps you've heard about that. Saying that it was their apartheid government practices that led to the attack on October 7th. Can you believe that? And, and notice the language. That's the same language the PCUSA denomination used to describe Israel not that long ago. They, too, were saying, oh, it's this apartheid government of Israel and that they're the guilty parties in all of this. Guys, your speech has consequences. Labeling and adding to this hate contributed to what happened. In fact... It gets worse. Not only that, but our denomination quite cowardly put out a statement ignorantly condemning violence on both sides this past weekend. As of last night, you can still find it on their website when I was putting my notes together. Condemning violence on both sides. And that's all that they said. We were against violence altogether. Are you kidding me? What cowardice. To, to see evil in the face and not be able to call it for what it is. And they wonder why we and so many others are seeking to leave them. But let's return to an earlier question. Is God done with Israel? Is God only concerned with the church now? Is modern Israel um, merely just another nation that happens to have the name of the old Israel, as some people have claimed? And it's... This is no fringe movement. Many people have believed that over the years. That in the time of the apostles in 70 AD, when Titus destroyed Jerusalem, knocking over every last stone of the temple, and the nation of Israel is then scattered all over the world, that this was the end of Israel, and the church is now, you know, the only thing God is concerned with. And maybe the church is the new Israel. Maybe that's how we can make sense out of some of these Old Testament prophecies and things that point to Israel. Maybe, maybe the church is the new Israel. And many people believe that for many, many years. 
I mean, it makes sense with no nation and no temple. How could the events of the Old Testament or some of these old prophecies take place? It was a popular belief for many centuries in Christian thought. That is, until 1948, when Israel was reborn as a nation. But even before then, there were, there were pockets of theologians that read scriptures like the ones we read today for our readings and said, wait, hold on. Something about this doesn't fit. You know, there's these promises like Zechariah 12 that says that Jerusalem in the latter days would be a, st- would be a cup of staggering and a heavy stone in the last days. In other words, that Jerusalem and Israel would be a burden to all the world and a big center of political events in the last days. And how is that going to take place without the nation of Israel? How is the church going to step into that, especially if it names Jerusalem? It's a piece of the puzzle that didn't fit in many people's worldviews. And then there were passages like Ezekiel 36 and 37 that speak of Israel being regathered from all of the nations. Now, many people thought, okay, well, Ezekiel was writing during the time of the Babylonian captivity. Maybe he's talking about that. They're coming from the nation of Babylon back into the land. And that was a partial fulfillment. But that was just from one nation. To acknowledge this, by the way, granted Israel the right to be a nation again. And overnight... Just like Ezekiel prophesied, from all over the world, this dead nation comes back to life again. And for the first time, a nation has ever been in exile for 1,878 years and come back. For 1,878 years, they were not a people, they were not a land, they were migrants living here, there, and everywhere. And suddenly they're back. This is nothing short of a miracle of God's hand being upon these people. This has never been heard of before. A hundred years maybe, 200 years we have on the history books, but that long? There's There's no close second. And many people are starting to realize maybe these prophecies that are left over of Israel, maybe they happen to be about Israel after all. Maybe they still have a place in world history and the world events that are unfolding before our very eyes. But with that being said, how do we make sense out of what's happening now? Well, if these scriptures that we just read this morning are to be believed, Israel will continue to be a heavy stone to all of the nations around them and will become increasingly more and more central to the world stage of politics. And the next thing that we know for sure is going to happen, albeit we don't know exactly when, is Israel's going to be attacked. Far worse than what happened this last week. If uh, you kept your finger in your Bibles, please turn with me to Ezekiel 38. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses of it, um, because there's truly so much to be unpacked here. But beginning at verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face towards Gog in the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out 
with all of your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush, and Put are all with them. All are with them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all of his hordes, Beth Tagorma and all of the uttermost parts of the north, with all of his hordes, many peoples are with you. Be ready and keep ready, you and all of your hosts that are assembled about you, and be on guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war. The land which, whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which have been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all of your hordes, and many peoples with you. And truly, you can get lost in the details that we just read, much less the rest of the chapter and the chapter following. There is so much relevance in these two chapters that are worth our time, but I only have so much of that today. But I will say that this This attack is going to be led by this nation referred to as Magog. And many prophecy experts believe this Magog character to be Russia. There's many reasons to believe that. I can't get into it now. And that will be the one who is leading this attack, which is interesting to read. But it makes more sense as you read further, because among other nations here listed prominently is Persia. Now, who's Persia? Well, up until the 1930s, that was what we now call Iran. Very interesting. And it's an even more recent phenomenon that those two nations are in an alliance with each other. Historically, that hasn't been. This is a very recent uh, development where Iran is now giving drones to Russia for its war in Ukraine. And Iran has gotten many of its weapons from Russia. Which, by the way, Hamas and Hezbollah both have deep ties to Iran. And it's no coincidence that Biden essentially granted access to $6 billion to Iran as part of this prisoner exchange that took place in September. And less than a month later, we have this well-organized and well-coordinated attack coming out of Hamas, which is funded by Iran. Fascinating, right? I Look, I was born on a Tuesday, but I wasn't born last Tuesday. I can make that connection. I'm pretty sure you guys can too. At, so the Bible assures us at some point, these nations, along with a correlation of others, are going to attack Israel. Now, not all of these nations are perfectly in line yet, and I don't have time to get into all the details of it. But things can happen very quickly, I found, in the world of politics. How alliances can be quickly formed and changed in a very short period of time. And the Bible isn't super clear when this attack will be, but it'll be sometime right at the end of days. People speculate whether it'll be just before, just after, or perhaps three and a half years after what we call the rapture. But it'll happen sometime as you see all these things falling into place as this war is about ready to happen. 
That's when you know, hey, we're right there in the last of the last of days. And I kind of skipped over this a moment ago, but yes, I, by the way, I do believe in the rapture. I believe the scripture is very clear about that. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 refers to a time where we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and thus always be with him. While the rest of you know that, that chapter goes on in the next chapter to speak about the day of the Lord and how the, 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 how the wrath of the Lord will be revealed against the whole earth for its injustices and going against God. But that same chapter speaks that we were not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Christ Jesus. And I believe in Romans 5, 9 as well. So if there's ever the wrath of God upon the earth, it's in the book of Revelation, which we are not destined for. And by the way, scholars have even noted great similarities between how God will respond to, these, to this Gog and Magog attack in Ezekiel 38 and the judgments in the book of Revelation. It's very interesting to compare these two. So let me make this clear. If you guys wake up some morning and the, the, the big headline of the day is that Russia and Iran in an alliance together with a bunch of others have invaded Israel... Get ready. And how crazy is it that we could see that realistically unfolding before our very eyes? Considering how Iran is the sponsor and funder of Hamas. Considering how Vladimir Putin joined with the students of Harvard in blaming the attack on Israel to Israel. And how they're in cahoots with Iran, and you got Hezbollah in the north ready to attack Israel, who's also backed by Iran. Things could fall into place unrealistically fast. Especially when you consider the language of how this battle in Ezekiel 38 starts. It speaks of this nation that, again, we believe to be Russia being brought into the battle as though there's a hook in its jaw. Which is a, it's, it's, an, it's an old uh, proverb that basically means they're reluctantly being drawn into this. As if it's not their primary focus, but they're kind of being dragged into it. Kind of like those of you who understand World War I. That's how World War I started. There was a bunch of these alliances. Something rather insignificant happened. And suddenly the whole world's at war because of all these alliances that were formed. That's how wars start. So you can realistically see how Russia could get pulled into this. Perhaps because of Israel's confrontation with, with, with Iran. Who knows? And again, are all the pieces in place? No, but we're getting close. Enough to take notice. Now, John Motley, are you sure about this? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 24... That as we draw closer to the end of days, there would be what? Wars and rumors of wars. Just like this. And that these things would be, to quote him directly, the beginning of birth pangs. Now those of you who have ever had kids now know what those are. And know what that's like. You know, when they first start, you freak out a little bit. Especially with your first child. But then things settle down. And then it's like, oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> I think I'm going to be fine at this. Oh, and then they come back even worse. <laughs> then things settle again, and think, but the, the tension keeps rising. 
until right up at the end, it is unbearable what you are going through. And I see some of you guys remembering those days. That is until the baby comes. And suddenly, all of that discomfort you felt, it's an afterthought compared to the joy of holding your child. Jesus tells us that is exactly what the last days are going to be like. It's going to be bad. Then things are going to settle down. Things are going to get real worse, and then things are going to settle down. But the overall tension is going to keep growing on the world stage. Just like the mother's body is preparing for the delivery, so the world stage is being prepared for Jesus' return. And it's entirely possible that all these events that we're talking about and all this almost alarmist-sounding preacher is throwing out there, that it's, it's entirely possible that all this settles down and we get a period of relative peace for a, term, for a time. It's possible that Gaza runs its course and Ukraine runs its course and then, you know, we get a period of relative peace for a while. You know, it's interesting. I've listened to many recordings of preachers in the 1980s that uh, we're saying, at that point, because of the Cold War, Jesus is coming back any day now. Any day now, Jesus is coming back. But he didn't. In the 80s, the world settled down for a time. I, I grew up in the 90s and the 2000s in a period of relative peace in the world stage, relatively speaking. And it's possible that could happen again. Perhaps this is just the beginning of such things and John Motley will be lumped into those other 80s preachers. It's possible. But either way, the most important question I want to ask today before we conclude our time together, now, what do I do? Well, Jesus told us exactly what to do and some of you guys might need to write down this verse. Luke 21, 28. Luke 21, 28, where Jesus said, when these things begin to take place, when you start to see all these things falling into place, freak out, be terrified, cash out your 401k and live underground. Wait a minute, that's not what Jesus said. No, what he actually says is raise your heads or to look up for your redemption is drawing near. That's Jesus' comfort. Not to look to the situation, but to look beyond the situation, to look up and receive that hope because your redemption is drawing near. And that is what gives us hope and perseverance through whatever might be happening next because Jesus is coming back. That fills my heart with hope. You know, a, a wise family, if they're about to drive to the hospital because the baby is coming, they might say, you know, if a neighbor tries to stop them, they might say, oh, what's going on? And they might say, oh, my wife is in labor. And that's right to say. But what's more truthful to say is the baby is coming. One focuses on the pain. One focuses on hope. One focuses on the far better outcome of what's going to happen rather than the pain that's about to take place. You have to have that mindset in all things, much less this. <laughs> now, some people will drive all the way to the hospital just to be sent home. Maybe that's happened to some of you guys. And they say, you know, oh, I'm sorry you're here too early. This is just the beginning of birth pangs. 
Oh, it's going to get worse. <laughs> you know, go home, relax, come back when these conditions take place. When you start to see these things happening, then come in. And maybe that's where John Motley is today. Maybe somebody would say, go home. <laughs> but, you know, maybe so, maybe not. But that does make sense out of what's happened in years prior with other pastors that have set, look, seen these things coming together because we're all looking at the same thing. But I do know one thing for sure. This I'm confident about. This is factually true. Jesus has never been closer to coming back than he is right now. Amen, church? <laughs> so whether it's this week, this month, this year, or a hundred years from now, I don't know. Who's to say for sure? But it is amazing to think about that we could be the generation that sees this happen. That when Jesus will return and rule in righteousness and peace over all the earth, that true justice will prevail, that the wickedness that we see in the world will be punished, will receive its due wrath. But in the meantime, we will always be with the Lord. What amazing peace that can give us. And again, just to be clear, I'm not a date setter. <laughs> I'm not an alarmist in any sense of the word. I still have all my money in my 401k. I don't own an underground bunker. Nor do I have plans to uh, get one. However, either way, I'm absolutely prepared for whatever is about to happen in the world. Because look, if Jesus delays, my stocks are just going to go back up. I'm not worried about that. But more importantly than that, if he does come tomorrow, I'm living in a way that's prepared to meet my Savior right now. So I pray that that is ultimately true of every single person here. Are you ready for that day? Because none of us are going to live forever anyway, after all. I mean, this afternoon, Jesus could come on the clouds of heaven, or I could be hit by a bus. I don't know. We're not promised tomorrow. Nobody knows the day or hour of Jesus' return, so likewise, nobody knows the day or the hour when we might receive an unwelcomed diagnosis, or the day or the hour an accident might happen. Nobody knows. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the rest of the day. So regardless of your own personal end times beliefs, have you settled your business with Jesus? If something happens tomorrow, are you prepared to meet him? Do you know that you know that you know that your sins are forgiven and you are going to heaven and not hell? Do you know that you will be welcomed into his presence? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe what he did on the cross to take away your sins? Don't leave today without that peace. Now in conclusion, I'm going to torture that pregnancy analogy one last time. Could you imagine how disorienting it would be if you just randomly started experiencing contractions? Out of the blue. How bewildering would that be? I mean, could you imagine? Just start randomly experiencing labor pains. 
You see, the reason women don't freak out when that happens is because they know it's going to take place. It makes sense of what they're doing, and they know what's going to happen next. It's the way it's meant to be. In the same vein, I could not imagine reading the headlines that I have read this week without knowing what's going to happen next, without having the peace that God has given us of what is going to happen in the latter days. And for us, it's not categorized by doom and gloom. It's categorized by the glory of the return of Jesus Christ. And that even in the the craziness and the, the bizarre nature as things seem so out of control for those who don't know Jesus, trying to make sense out of the all the hate, all the confusion, these wars and rumors of wars, as a Bible-trusting Christian, even in the pain, even in the chaos, even in the lament in my heart for the people of Israel, it brings us peace to know that our sovereign God even has a plan and a purpose for this. As the world is getting set for his return, that we were told these things would happen, and we're told what's going to happen next. And And that gives us peace, knowing not that I'm in control, but knowing the one who is. So may that kind of peace be your peace this week. As we look up, knowing that our redemption is drawing near with the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.